0: Let's pray as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word that you have given us. And thank you that your word uh, reveals to us your grace and salvation. Um, Thank you that your word um, encourages us and challenges us and does not um, leave us uh, where we uh, where we are but uh, yeah we pray this morning that you'd help us to think about how how you want us to live and, and grow as your people um, and help us to do uh, those things in your strength uh, we pray um, yeah that you would open our eyes and, and and our ears to hear what you would have to say to us this morning and we pray in Christ's name amen So, the question uh, that Paul wants us to think about in uh, the passage today is how do we grow um, in the Christian life? What does that look like? Um, what does it look like for God's people uh, to grow and to live uh, in this world? Over the last chapter and a half, um, he's called us uh, to some pretty um, radical ways of thinking and countercultural ways of thinking. Um, he's held himself up as an example and said that whether he lives or dies, the only important thing is if the gospel of Jesus is preached. He's urged us to live as as citizens of heaven, um, even while we live in the world. And when he painted a picture of what that looked like, it was uh, really countercultural and and um, and unnatural. It might feel a bit foreign or different, um, particularly for the world that we live in and the culture around us. Uh, we're supposed to be united in um, in one mission, really, and that is proclaiming the gospel, uh, rejoicing in suffering, and laying aside our own needs to put others first. And the ultimate example of that is the Lord Jesus Himself, um, as we uh, looked at, uh, as Alon um, showed us, uh, taught to us a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, in Christ Himself, who though He is God with all the rights and power and privileges attached to. Uh, to being God, he took on our, hum- our humanity, made himself a slave, and died a shameful death, uh, all for our sake and for the glory of God. And these are the, the, the mindsets that Paul um, has called the Philippians uh, and us to adopt uh, among ourselves. And it's an amazingly uh, radical and different way of thinking, isn't it? It's an impossibly high standard. And so perhaps a question that's rising uh, in, your, uh, in your mind this morning is, um, how, do I, how do I do that? How do I live up to that standard? Is there um, a magic formula? Um, is it just sheer determination and hard work? After Paul's description of how to live as citizens of heaven, when he comes um, to verse 12 and says, work out your salvation, we might well be tempted to think that it's, that it's up to us. Uh, maybe, maybe we, we we're tempted to think in a way that God um, God works in, in us in salvation. He's met us with grace, given us a clean slate, and now it's now it's up to us. He gives us the reins, and um, we've got to drive this thing now. Uh, and maybe we just have to to will and try harder. And perhaps you feel like that uh, this morning. Perhaps you feel you've been. Um, really striving to live the way that you know Christ has called you to live. And maybe you feel the frustration or the disappointment of not making as much uh, progress as you'd like. I know I do, most days. Um, Or then again, maybe on the other end of the spectrum, maybe your faith is something you just sort of glance at in the rearview mirror of life every now and then. You know it's taken a backseat, really, to other priorities, uh, work or family or just maintaining your idea or your vision for the good life. But in this passage, Paul calls us to energetic hard work to keep growing and producing fruit in our lives that is consistent with the salvation that we have. He calls us to work at it with perseverance and urgency um, as if it's the most important thing that we'll ever do, because it is. And at the same time, he reassures us that we're not working on this alone our desire to grow, the the progress we make, all of this is actually God's work in us. We're to work hard because God himself is at work in us. Have a look at verse 12, and I I encourage you to keep your Bibles open throughout uh, the sermon today. But we'll we'll start just looking at uh, verses 12 and 13. It reads, uh, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul, uh, Paul wants the Philippians to make their salvation fruitful, here and now, as the grace of Christ uh, and the fruit of the Spirit is produced in their lives. Remember um, the Philippians were sort of the model church of the New Testament, their track record of obedience to the gospel and partnership in paul 's ministry, especially when it was difficult and dangerous and, and brought suffering. Uh, that really filled Paul with joy and confidence that God was at work in them. but that doesn 't mean that they 've made it and their work is done that doesn 't mean that they can take uh, their foot off the pedal. The danger is uh, is that they might hear that God Uh, is working in them, that he'll bring that work to completion and they'll think uh, they've got their future salvation locked away and because of that they'll they'll lose the urgency and enthusiasm that they had at first. No, it's, it's clear here, they're to keep the fires of their gospel urgency stoked. They're to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, as it says. That means they're to produce the fruit Of their salvation in their lives, living as citizens worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, as we looked at um, in chapter 1. And they're to do this because of who God has already made them. Um, Do you see that Paul says, Work out your salvation? He doesn't say, Work for your salvation. He's not telling them that they need uh, to work harder so that God will see their efforts and deem their efforts a satisfactory uh, pass. Uh, They have already been saved. And that's been the source for Paul's confidence in them. God has started a good work in them and will bring it to completion. They've been made citizens of heaven. That is their identity now. Even their suffering for the gospel is a clear sign of their salvation from God. They have been saved by the Lord Jesus, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross in their place, taking the punishment that was rightfully theirs. And now the one who has died for them rules with universal authority. Everything needed for their salvation has been done. And so for you, if you have put your trust in Jesus, your salvation is sure. Your relationship with God uh, is secure. You're already guaranteed a place in God's blessed presence in the new heaven and new earth. We don't have to work for that. We don't have to strive for that. Uh, It's because of that that Paul says uh, they should work at making their salvation fruitful uh, in their lives. And that's the point of the therefore at the start of verse 12. It's it's, It's like Paul saying, you have been made citizens of heaven, rescued by Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. Therefore, work out your salvation. Live as the citizens of heaven that you are and do it in every part of your life. Let it permeate every aspect um, of your being. I don't, think, I don't think we can understate this, how, how um, yeah, that link back to the previous uh, passage, where to sit with that um, realisation and, and remembrance of the truth of the gospel and let it really soak in and then um, work forward. And we're to do it with a sense of urgency, of of fear and trembling. And the four that starts verse 13 uh, tells you why. It's because the one working in them is God in himself. It's God who makes it all possible. Uh, For the Philippians, it's, it's by his spirit living in them, God gives them everything they need to work out their salvation. The determination, the desire... Uh, to live in line with the values of a heavenly citizen and the power to do it, resisting temptation, standing firm against opposition, putting their own needs behind those of others and then to do it with an attitude of fear and trembling. I wonder what you think when you hear uh, that phrase, particularly those two words, fear and trembling. Um, And perhaps it brings to mind uh, sort of an image of uh, working hard almost, bent over, head down, persevering, or else God will take our salvation off us. Maybe you've read it like that before, Um, but it's not that at all. Uh, We never need to to be afraid that if God has begun working in us, that one day he might stop. That's not the gospel of God's grace. It doesn't produce the joy that we see in Paul and the Philippians. We've already seen Paul's confidence that God will complete what he started in the Philippians' lives. This fear and trembling comes when we know just who it is that's at work in us. It's God himself. And this isn't someone we can uh, walk all over or who we can ignore when it's inconvenient for us. Uh, This is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He's He's the one that made the Israelites quake with terror when he appeared to them on Mount Sinai. He's the one that made Isaiah fall down as if he were dead, just as we read before. Uh, just at the sight of the hem of God's robe. And this is the God that's at work in us, that's at work in every Christian, in our hearts and our minds, enabling us to live for him. And if, when we grasp that, how can we not tremble with amazement and wonder and fear that he's at work in us? He's working in us for his good pleasure, achieving his plan to save us, Uh, to the worship of Jesus and the glory of the Father. And so as we reflect on these couple of verses, I think it's important to ask if our own attitudes to our faith and our salvation line up with what Paul uh, is saying here. Do you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, uh, knowing that the glorious and sovereign God is working in you? That's the only attitude we can have if we're grasping that God is the one working in us. Uh, But is it what Paul would say about you if he watched you for a week? Is it what Paul would say about us um, as a church if he watched us for a week? Would it be he works his salvation out with fear and trembling, striving to put the gospel first in everything? Uh, Or would it be he works his salvation out with uh, a bit of complacency, paying attention to the gospel um, when it suits and when his schedule isn't too busy? When God himself is working in us, there's no room for complacency or pride uh, or resignation. Paul's fear for believers is that they'll be more influenced by what uh, the world says their priorities should be than what God says. And this fear isn't unfounded, is it? Um, we can just think about our own, le- our own lives and the many influences that... Um, uh, Yeah, the many things that influence how we live out our day-to-day life. So for you, is it that God has made you a citizen of heaven, so you strive for unity and relationship with other believers for the sake of the gospel? Or maybe you tend to um, prefer staying comfortable in your relationships and only reaching out to those who are easy to reach out to. Maybe your priority is keeping your head down, getting your work done during the week and making sure you've got a nice uh, buffer in your savings account. I, th- I think the temptation for most of us here, um, including myself, would just to become complacent, wouldn't it? To just fall um, into the regular old rhythms of day-to-day life, feeling pretty, co- pretty comfortable about the decisions we've made so far, not actively paying much attention to how the gospel should shape our lives Uh, today, tomorrow, this week. And even in light of the culture around us, it's much easier to have our eyes um, looking and critiquing at the ways um, that we see the culture around us fail to live up to this instead of thinking about how the gospel um, should shape our lives, how we should work out our own salvation. The truth of this passage is that God is working in you to make you fit for his presence and his glory on the last day. Uh, he's, he's changing he's changing your desires. He's giving you the power and the ability to live them out. And that's not something that we can be casual or complacent about. As we go further along in this passage, we'll get to some more um, application-type sections. So I'd encourage you now to just think about uh, one way that these couple of verses might apply to you, one way that you can work out your salvation even this week, or one area that you think the gospel um, should shape in your life? How does the gospel change your life tomorrow or this week? Paul calls us uh, to work out our salvation with the urgency and reverence that is fitting to the reality of God Himself working in us. And in verses 14 uh, to 16, Paul shows us the goal of our working as well as the attitudes that put it in danger. Paul's desire for the Philippians is that on the day Jesus returns, they'll stand out clearly as God's children against the backdrop of a world that is wicked and depraved. So check out uh, verses 14 and 16 with me. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. You might have picked up on that um, these verses are full of some Old Testament echoes. Uh, God's desire for us is that we shine like stars in the world, and this has always been his desire for his people. Paul's using an image here that he gets from uh, Daniel chapter 12. Uh, It's a picture of the day of the Lord, judgment day, that, uh, that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess the lordship of Christ. Uh, on that day, God's children will be the ones who have persevered in doing good. And because of that, they've turned many people from wickedness to righteousness as God works in them and through them. Uh, and they'll stand out. I'm sure many of you have gone um, out west or at least out of town somewhere where there's, no, where there's no light pollution and where the sky is pitch black and the stars uh, light up the whole sky and such will it be. Because it has rejected God, the world will always be crooked and twisted but against that backdrop we should stand out. For most of the world, um, it will be a cause to reject us and persecute us. The way we live will be the stench uh, of death, but for those who are being saved, the way we live will be like a fragrant perfume. it will be the fragrance of life. it will be beautiful and attractive. it will draw people to the Lord Jesus as we live out our gospel partnership side by side uh, and the great threat to that as we as we see in this passage passage and perhaps the great threat uh, for the Philippians is Uh, when God's people grumble and fight. And again, another Old Testament echo. When God rescued Israel out of Egypt, uh, they were supposed to be his messengers to the nations. The world was supposed to look at this small nation of people with their uh, wonderful laws and their amazing victories, living in a fertile land, and say, like, what's going on there? Wow, how amazing is their God? They were supposed to be like stars uh, in, the, in the night sky, turning people to righteousness through faith in God. But instead, right from the start, they grumbled against Moses and against the God who rescued them, instead of keeping their eyes fixed on, on where God was taking them. Um, as soon as the going got tough, they started to, uh, to whinge and to grumble and they longed to even go back to slavery in Egypt. Instead of being God's children, Moses says they became a crooked and twisted generation. And they poured cold water on their witness to the nations, um, because who would want to follow a God whose people are miserable and complain all the time? Um, Paul's warning is that uh, grumbling, complaining, infighting will extinguish our efforts to share Jesus. And instead we should shine like stars. And the way way we're to do this is by holding fast to the word of life, the gospel. If the the Philippians are to hold fast to the gospel, it provides everything they need to work out their salvation. It's the gospel that will will sustain them to the end. It's the gospel that supplies the antidote to grumbling and complaining. Do you see how? Because of the gospel, we can be uh, present and patient when we experience disagreement or conflict with each other. And this is in stark contrast to, uh, to the two main ways that our culture handles conflict, either by uh, pushing it aside but having it still similar away in the background or, on the, on the other side, being unwilling to compromise or consider the views of others that we have conflict with. But if we know that our salvation and adoption is secure in the work of Christ, uh, we can be both uh, honest when we raise our experiences and perspectives with each other knowing that our unity goes deeper than whatever issue we're talking about. And also we can be honest about the reality of our own sin when others raise issues with us, being always willing to listen, consider, reflect, even if we disagree. If the Philippians don't hold on to the gospel here, if they, if they don't take it seriously and put every effort into working it out uh, in their lives, Paul will have wasted his time with them, he says. Um, All his efforts will have been in vain. Uh, And no one in ministry wants to feel like they're wasting uh, their time. The gospel is too important. Um, It seems like he feels like he he could be a coach who got up early every morning running alongside his athletes, encouraging them, training them, uh, doing everything for their benefit and their future glory, only for them to give up halfway through the big race when Paul stands before the Lord Jesus and gives a final account of how he has stewarded and cared for the churches that God entrusted to him uh, he doesn't want to come with empty hands he'll do whatever it takes to serve the Philippians and make sure they hold fast to the gospel working at that working out their salvation with fear and trembling And this is the case even if he's poured out like a drink offering, giving his life for them. He'll rejoice at the opportunity. And we see that in verses 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. When the people of Israel came and made um, certain sacrifices or offerings to God out of thanks or in in sacrifice for sin, uh, the last element involved would be to pour some wine or oil over it to make a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And Paul uses that idea here. He says uh, to the Philippians, all your life is a sacrifice to God. It's an offering of thanks to him for his gracious redemption of you and his work in you. And if I have to give my life, if I have to pour out my life to help you complete that sacrifice, to help you stand stand firm and to help you work out your salvation, then I'll rejoice at the opportunity to do that. Paul's attitude here is an example to us of what it means to work out your salvation and live as a citizen of heaven. He's been so transformed by the gospel that he counts it all as joy, to serve the Philippians for the benefit of their faith, even if that includes his death. Paul has plenty he could grumble about, we've looked at that in, in previous passages, um, but the antidote to his grumbling is holding fast to the gospel. The more he knows the gospel, the more he knows the extent of what God has done for him, the depths of Christ's humiliation and the height of of his exaltation, then the more he sees it as pure joy to hand his whole life over to the service of Christ. It's pretty challenging, isn't isn't it, to hold our lives up against uh, these examples? Paul is convinced that holding onto the gospel, knowing it more, savouring it, living out its commands, that's the way to work out our salvation. That's the way God works in us to produce the determination and the power to live out our heavenly citizenship, even while we are citizens of the world. Holding fast to the gospel is how we adopt the mind of Christ Jesus, laying down our lives in self-sacrificial service of others for their eternal benefit. And so we move to um, the last section, verses 19 to, to 30. In this last section... Um, of the passage Paul wants to hold up two other examples of what it looks like uh, to work out our salvation to live as citizens of heaven self-sacrificial lives with the mindset of Christ formed in us and the first is his apprentice uh, Timothy and we read about that um, verses 19 to uh, 24 I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you Paul's hope here is to, uh, to send Timothy on a return trip where he can see how the Philippians are going and, and bring back news to encourage Paul while he uh, sits in chains. And when Timothy uh, comes, the Philippians are to look uh, to look at him as a living example of self-sacrificial service for the sake of the gospel. And Paul so- shows us how that, it, that is in two ways, in verses 20 and 21. In verse 20, uh, he says, there's no one with him who is like Timothy. Uh, he's the best that Paul has got. Paul, um, so far in the letter, has been encouraging the Philippians to strive side by side for the gospel, to have, uh, to have gospel partnership with each other and with him, uh, to be united in one mind. And Timothy is an example of that. He's, he's united in one mind and un- united with Paul. Paul. On that same, uh, in that same gospel partnership, on that same gospel mission. Uh, and so there's no one else who has as much affection and concern for the, for, the, for the Philippians as Timothy. He's filled with the same love and genuine concern for them as Paul himself. And in verse 21, there's no one who is with Paul um, who is so single-minded in seeking the interests of Jesus over their own. Just like Paul, Timothy's greatest desire is to serve the one who saved him. He's put on the mind of Christ and that's seen in the way that he shares Jesus' priorities for his people, like the Philippians. Do you think Paul would have been willing to send you or to send us? Would he have said, "Uh, I'm sending her because she's got the same heart for you guys as I do. She's always putting the priorities of Jesus before her own needs. Would he send you as an example that the Philippians could imitate? Paul hopes to send Timothy so the Philippians have a living example to imitate of single minded, self sacrificial service of Jesus, someone who is working their salvation out with fear and trembling. He hopes to send uh, Timothy soon, and the only reason he doesn't send him straight away is Paul's own uncertain circumstances. Uh, But for the second example, Epaphroditus, Paul sees that it's absolutely necessary to send him back straight away. We read uh, from verse 25 to 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So Epaphroditus was was from the Philippian church. He was a Philippian native, a member of the church, and he was the messenger that had brought the Philippians' uh, gift for Paul. And then the idea was that he would stay there for a bit and help Paul with whatever he needed. Epaphroditus was the one uh, on the ground getting his hands dirty in what needed to be done for Paul um, and the fellow brothers. He was the soldier of the team. If Timothy was the ministry apprentice leading the service, preaching to the church while Paul was absent, running Bible study groups, then Epaphroditus was the one uh, stacking chairs after the service or running around after all the kids, making sure they were fed and looked after. But even though he wasn't the one up the front doing the visible ministry, Paul wants the Philippians to look at him as an example too. He's a man worth honouring. Again, he's an example of single-minded, self-sacrificial service of Jesus. At some stage, either uh, on his journey or or once he'd reached Paul, um, he'd gotten sick, and yet rather than lay up and rest, he he pressed on, even when he got much worse, since he was so determined to fulfil the ministry that he'd been given. The Philippians had heard that uh, he was sick, and so they were worried about him. Epaphroditus was worried because he knew his friends at home were worried. And Paul was worried about all the worrying. And so uh, rather than keeping Epaphroditus as his helper, Paul sends him back to Philippi with this letter that we're reading and tells them to, re- to receive him joyfully and with honour. Uh, he calls them to look uh, to him as an example worth following because this is what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. And that's why Paul is glad to call Epaphroditus a a brother, a fellow worker and a fellow soldier in the gospel. Even if his service isn't the visible, upfront service, he's a true example of the Christ-like, self-sacrificial service befitting of a citizen of heaven. And so one of the the many ways that we can work out our salvation together is to look to examples like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus um, as they mimic Christ. I hope that you can look around this morning uh, and see examples of this in the brothers and sisters that you fellowship with here at Eastgate. Um, People who you can see have have lived lives of self-sacrificial service for the sake of the gospel. Get to know them if you haven't already and follow their way of life. Ask their advice. Ask them um, if sacrificing for the gospel was worth it. These verses contain a great challenge for us, a challenge to, uh, to work out our salvation with dedication and energy and urgency. And these verses contain a great comfort that God doesn't leave us uh, to work out our salvation on our own. It's not all up to us and our hard work. God himself is the one working in us. God himself is the one working in you. Um, and all our work is enabled by him. Our salvation comes from him from start to finish. And as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says we'll shine like stars in the night sky in a way that draws people to the Lord Jesus. So let's pray together and ask that God would be working in us as we work out our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, what a marvellous thing it is that you are the one who works in us to live and grow uh, in a way that is pleasing to you. And we need you to work in us to live and grow in a way that is pleasing to you. We pray that the truth of your gospel would permeate every part of our being and every element of our lives um, as we look to you and to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Help us in this. As you do this work in us, we pray that we would be as stars against the night sky and that others would be drawn to your gospel uh, for the sake of Christ and for your glory. We pray in his name. Amen.